welcome back to History Obscura. This week, I'm moving right along with a few more chapters from our friend Nellie Bly. This is chapter 11, In the Bath. A few more songs and we were told to go with Miss Group. We were taken into a cold, wet bathroom and I was ordered to undress. Did I protest? Well, I never grew so earnest in my life as when I tried to beg off. They said if I did not, they would use force and that it would not be very gentle. At this, I noticed one of the craziest women in the ward standing by the filled bathtub with a large, discolored rag in her hands. She was chattering away to herself and chuckling in a manner which seemed to me fiendish. I knew now what was to be done with me. I shivered. They began to undress me, and one by one they pulled off my clothes. At last, everything was gone excepting one garment. I will not remove it, I said vehemently, but they took it off. I gave one glance at the group of patients gathered at the door watching the scene, and I jumped into the bathtub with more energy than grace. The water was ice cold, and I again began to protest. How useless it all was! I begged at least that the patients be made to go away, but was ordered to shut up. The crazy woman began to scrub me. I can find no other word that will express it but scrubbing. From a small tin pan, she took some soft soap and rubbed it all over me, even all over my face and my pretty hair. I was at last past seeing or speaking, although I had begged that my hair be left untouched. Rub, rub, rub went the old woman, chattering to herself. My teeth chattered and my limbs were goose-fleshed and blue with cold. Suddenly I got, one after the other, three buckets of water over my head. Ice-cold water, too. Into my eyes, my ears, my nose, and my mouth. I think I experienced some of the sensations of a drowning person as they dragged me, gasping, shivering, and quaking from the tub. For once, I did look insane. I caught a glance of the indescribable look on the faces of my companions, who had witnessed my fate and knew theirs was surely following. Unable to control myself at the absurd picture I presented, I burst into roars of laughter. They put me, dripping wet, into a short canton flannel slip, labeled across the extreme end in large black letters, Lunatic Asylum B.I.H. 6. The letters meant Blackwell's Island, Hall 6. By this time, Miss Mayard had been undressed, and much as I hated my recent bath, I would have taken another if by it I could have saved her the experience. Imagine plunging that sick girl into a cold bath when it made me, who have never been ill, shake as if with agru. I heard her explain to Miss Group that her head was still sore from her illness. Her hair was short and had mostly come out, and she asked that the crazy woman be made to rub more gently. But Miss Group said, There isn't much fear of hurting you. Shut up or you'll get it worse. Miss Mayer did shut up, and that was my last look at her for the night. 
I was hurried into a room where there were six beds and had been put into a bed when someone came along and jerked me out again, saying, Nellie Brown has to be put in a room alone tonight, for I suppose she's noisy. I was taken to room 28 and left to try and make an impression on the bed. It was an impossible task. The bed had been made high in the center and sloping on either side. At the first touch, my head flooded the pillow with water, and my wet slip transferred some of its dampness to the sheet. When Miss Group came in, I asked if I could not have a nightgown. We do not have such things in this institution, she said. I do not like to sleep without, I replied. Well, I don't care about that, she said. You're in a public institution now, and you can't expect to get anything. This is charity, and you should be thankful for what you get. But the city pays to keep these places up, I urged, and pays people to be kind to the unfortunates brought here. Well, you don't need to expect any kindness here, for you won't get it, she said, and she went out and closed the door. A sheet and an oilcloth were under me, and a sheet and a black wool blanket above. I never felt anything so annoying as that wool blanket as I tried to keep it around my shoulders to stop the chills from getting underneath. When I pulled it up, I left my feet bare, and when I put it down, my shoulders were exposed. There was absolutely nothing in the room but the bed and myself. As the door had been locked, I imagined I should be left alone for the night but I heard the sound of the heavy tread of two women down the hall. They stopped at every door, unlocked it, and in a few moments I could hear them relock it. This they did without the least attempt at quietness, down the whole length of the opposite wall and up into my room. Here they paused. The key was inserted in the lock and turned. I watched those about to enter. In they came, dressed in brown and white striped dresses, fastened by brass buttons, large white aprons, and a heavy green cord about the waist, from which dangled a bunch of large keys and small white caps on their heads. Being dressed as were the attendants of the day, I knew they were nurses. The first one carried a lantern, and she flashed its light into my face while she said to her assistant, this is Nellie Brown. Looking at her, I asked, Who are you? The night nurse, my dear, she replied, and wishing that I would sleep well, she went out and locked the door after her. Several times during the night they came into my room, and even had I been able to sleep, the unlocking of the heavy door, their loud talking and heavy tread, would have awakened me. I could not sleep, so I lay in bed, picturing to myself the horrors in case a fire should break out in the asylum. Every door is locked separately, and the windows are heavily barred so that escape is impossible. In the one building alone there are, I think Dr. Ingram told me, some 300 women. They are locked, one to ten to a room. It is impossible to get out unless those doors are unlocked. A fire is not improbable, but one of the most likely occurrences. 
Should the building burn, the jailers or nurses would never think of releasing their crazy patients. This I can prove to you later when I come to tell of their cruel treatment of the poor things entrusted to their care. As I say, in case of fire, not a dozen women could escape. All would be left to roast to death. Even if the nurses were kind, which they were not, it would require more presence of mind than women of their class to risk the flames and their own lives while they unlocked the hundreds of doors for the insane prisoners. Unless there is a change, there will someday be a tale of horror never equaled. In this connection is an amusing incident which happened just previous to my release. I was talking with Dr. Ingram about many things, and at last told him what I thought would be the result of a fire. The nurses are expected to open the doors, he said. But you know positively that they would not wait to do that, I said, and these women would burn to death. He sat silent, unable to contradict my assertion. Why don't you have it changed? I asked. What can I do? He replied. I offer suggestions until my brain is tired. But what good does it do? What would you do? He asked. Turning to me, the proclaimed insane was repeated. When we got into the dining room at last, we found a bowl of cold tea, a slice of buttered bread, and a saucer of oatmeal with molasses on it for each patient. I was hungry, but the food would not down. I asked for unbuttered bread and was given it. I cannot tell you of anything which is the same dirty black color. It was hard and, and in places, nothing more than dried dough. I found a spider in my slice, so I did not eat it. I tried the oatmeal and molasses, but it was wretched. So I endeavored, but without much show of success, to choke down the tea. After we were back to the sitting room, a number of women were ordered to make the beds and some of the patients were put to scrubbing, and others given different duties which covered all the work in the hall. It is not the attendants who keep the institution so nice for the poor patients, as I had always thought, but the patients who do it all themselves, even to cleaning the nurses' bedrooms and caring for their clothing. About 9.30, the new patients, of which I was one, were told to go out and see the doctor. I was taken in, and my lungs and my heart were examined by the flirty young doctor who was the first to see us the day we entered. The one who made out the report, if I mistake not, was the assistant superintendent, Ingram. A few questions, and I was allowed to return to the sitting room. I came in and saw Miss Grady with my notebook and long lead pencil, bought just for the occasion. I want my book and pencil. I said quite truthfully. It helps me remember things. I was very anxious to get it and make notes, and was disappointed when she said, You can't have it, so shut up. Some days after, I asked Dr. Ingram if I could have it, and he promised to consider the matter. When I again referred to it, he had said that Miss Grady said I only brought a book here, and that I had no pencil. I was provoked and insisted that I had, whereupon I was advised to fight against the imaginations of my brain. 
After the housework was completed by the patients, and as the day was fine but cold, we were told to go out in the hall and get on shawls and hats for a walk. Poor patients, how eager they were for a breath of fresh air, how eager for a slight release from their prison. They went swiftly into the hall and there was a skirmish for hats. Such hats. This podcast is brought to you by Endless Ink Books, a small mom-and-pop publishing house and press bringing readers books they will not find anywhere else. It's home of the series Into the Savage, The Last Diaspora, that's mine, and the illustrated novella series Earth's Final Chapter. Find them at EndlessInkBooks.com and discover your next favorite indie creator. Definitely suggest that you check out the Earth's Final Chapter Winning Collection 2020. It's a collection of four stories written by fans of the Earth's Final Chapter series, and I had the excellent luck of being able to help judge the entries. These stories are science fiction, fantasy, and highly speculative, and very imaginative. If you're not sure where to start, start here. Good night. (laughs) 